You can turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Paul has been writing this letter to this little church in the town of Colossae, and he's written obviously about Jesus because that's what Scripture is always about. And Paul starts that way saying, Jesus has done this all for you, and if he's done then a work in your heart, then this is how your life should look. At the beginning of chapter 3, he says um, in, in verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So what he's saying is, if you are Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. You've died. And so you surrender everything to him. You surrender uh, your schedule. You surrender your thoughts. And we've been coming into this uh, recent weeks talking about you surrender your family life. That's what we've been in now. So as we get to the latter part of this chapter, we're talking about marriage. We're going to go again back at the same verses we did last week to expand a little bit on that because I know that there's questions that come out of talking about husbands and wives. And so we're going to go to those verses again in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If you weren't here last week, those things were probably hitting you in the face this week. And if you're here last week, it probably is again, because as we said, there's just lots of things that are contained in those words, whether by definition or how we've experienced them that have been unpleasing. And yet those aren't the ways that God intended words like submit or husband's love. And therefore, also, when you go into the book of Ephesians chapter five, it talks about husbands being the head of the household. Those things have not been re-represented well in the way that God intended them. And so when we come to submission, a lot of times it's just been, well, that just means I'm less than. And that's not what God intended by submitting. When we talk about marriage, a husband and a wife, these are two equals. Male and female, God created them to represent, to show the image of God. In his likeness, he created them. And so we're not talking about two inequals. They are equal people who are then given roles. A husband is a head of the household. A wife is to submit. And in those things, we see Christ also having done those two things. And they're beautiful things when done right. When someone submits, and I'm not just talking about a wife to their husband, when someone submits, it's a beautiful thing. It's just such a great attitude. Willing and ready to do what God wants you to do. Jesus did that when he said, I submit to the Father. And in fact, in Philippians 2, it says, he then humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. He was willing to obey and submit all the way even to go to the cross because in that was this beautiful thing that some of you wear around your neck. It's called a cross. He was willing to allow himself to submit to the Father's will to be crushed in order to serve you and to buy you, which also then lends into him being the head. It says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And we talked last week then that helps define headship, not that husbands would be the head king of the family, but rather the way Christ defines it is that the husband is the head servant of the family. Husbands, you are to serve first and die first for the sake of helping your wife and your children achieve their calling towards Jesus and whatever he's asked them to do. You serve them to the death because that's how Christ did it when he was the head of the church and died for us in order to present us in our calling that is pure and spotless and safe. And so what we're going to do today is expand upon those because I know as we hear those things, there comes lots of questions. 
And just out of those verses, I just want to answer a first one, and that is this. Husbands, as the head of the household, you cannot save your wife. That was Christ's doing. I'll just start there. In Ephesians chapter 5, when it says Christ is the head of the church, it goes on and says, He gave himself up for her in order that he might present her blameless, spotless, pure, and present her then before the Father. That's not your doing. You serve your wife to death, but you cannot save her. Your job as a vessel of Christ in serving her is to help show her Jesus and his grace. Jesus must save her. So when we serve one another, and even if it's not a marriage, we're serving people. We can't save anybody, but we can show them Jesus. And that's what we do in our marriage. So that's the first thing I wanted to hit. And the second thing is this. Uh, I know that the question comes in, well, if, if, if we're equals, but then in marriage there, is, there are different roles. There's headship, there's submission. Does that mean within these roles there's certain chores? Does that mean that automatically because a wife submits that she's got to go to the closet over here and pick up a broom and get at it? It's just little Miss Cinderella. And that's what the Bible does not talk about at all. Nowhere in the Bible does it say as a result of being the head king. That means you get to sit on the recliner and tell the woman which channel you're going to watch. Okay, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that because of the role, that's the way it's going to work. Because you're one or the other, that means you've got to go mow the lawn. Because you're one or the other, that means you're the one running the stove. The Bible never talks about things like that. When you talk about the husband, some people have said, well, because you're the husband, you are the one who is the provider. That is idolatry. The one in the scripture who's called the provider is God. Okay. Um, as far as it goes into women being submissive, then a lot of times it's like, well, then they need to be in the kitchen all the time. And they're the ones who should have the vacuum in their hands. But that's not what the scripture says. They didn't have vacuums then, of course. But a lot of times in scripture, it says they take a husband and a wife and they're put together. And you know what? They're gifted in so many ways and their their efforts and their motivation, even within their roles, are given towards everything in them is 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 going towards Jesus. That it might be honorable to him that that God might look and say, I am pleased by what they're doing in their roles. And that in that, they might actually also be honoring one another. I've known men who have stayed home with the kids and what they do are, is honoring to their wives and honoring to God. And I've known women who go after it and they're hard at work and they get involved and they're honoring what they do. When it comes time for kids and to birth kids, because that's the role, the husband can't do it. They're involved in that and they go after it with all they can. So when we're talking about chores and household duties... The scripture doesn't talk about about those. A lot of you have known a, a passage called Proverbs 31. You might know it mostly because you bought a bag from Proverbs 31. But there's a reason why, why that's involved, uh, why it talks about it, because it's actually talking about a, a wife. I want to read this passage quickly and speak towards it. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. And I just want to first talk about this, that in the Proverbs, it talks all the time about a good wife is a gift from God. A good wife is a gift from God. It says, an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. 
She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her house, uh, for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet, or that can also mean a, a, a layers that, that she's actually warmly dressed them. It goes on in verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates and uh, when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gate. So the writing here describes this woman who goes out and there's just so many awesome things that are excellent about this woman. She just she works hard. She's providing. She has a, a, a heart for the poor. She's she's just great and honorable in so many ways. That's given a description of how that's playing out in her life. But it's talking about the root of her character. That at the end, it starts uh, just as the proverb says about fearing the Lord. It said, charm is deceitful and beauty, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. An excellent wife starts with this. A woman who fears the Lord. Amen. And from their flow from her, then all of her, her, her gifts and attributes and the ways that comes out in life. And so here we go in saying that because you're a wife or because you're a husband, the scripture doesn't say here now are your chores. Um, it's just you have a role. You have a role in that family. It's to honor God. It's to have the works go on and show that you fear the Lord. The next thing that um, people come with questions about uh, wives and husbands and all that says, um, can a non-believing husband... A husband who does not know the Lord still be the head of the family. If the job of the head is lead, toward, can they still be the head of the family? I want to take you quickly to the scripture speaks towards this directly in first Peter. Chapter three. First Peter, chapter three, and it's interesting that from the beginning, God talks all the time about husbands and wives because he created it before there was even sin. And he's running that way. He made all the way to the end. And so. In the scriptures and in the New Testament, even it's talking about this is the way God intended. He intended it for it to be one man and one woman in marriage. And and here's how it is. And so, again, uh, this isn't Paul. This is Peter talking. And it says this in first Peter, chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. So here, Peter is saying, hey, it's still in play. 
God intended this from the beginning and and in the midst of marriage, there is headship and submission. So so wives be subject to your own husbands. And even if your husband doesn't know the Lord. God intended that your role would be subject to, uh, to be subject to your own husband so that even if he doesn't know the Lord, even if he doesn't follow the word of the Lord, that through your actions, the way you conduct yourself to the husband, you might actually win him to Jesus. Because as we've talked about, marriage isn't about marriage itself. It's not about the husband and the wife. As a friend told me this week, marriage is not about just two people being happy. That's not the end goal. God put marriage and everything in play in order to show us him. And so if if you're in a situation where your spouse is not a believer, that doesn't mean you take marriage and the way God created it and throw it out the window. It says that now you install yourself into that situation and say, I'm going to fulfill what God has told me to do in this marriage in order to drag my spouse towards Jesus, to show him God's grace, to show him who Jesus is. That's that's what you get to do. That's what Peter said, so that even if they just look at your actions, their eyes would look to the Lord that you what a great opportunity. It may not be the most ideal situation, it may not bring about a whole lot of happiness, it may be part of your life that's the one part of your life that you would want that component to be very special and yet it's not there. And yet you could lead somebody towards there. You're a missionary in your own household. And that's a, a great opportunity that that the wife has. And so so then the question is, if if that's still in play and Peter's already talked about, nope, uh, if, if if a spouse isn't the believer, if the husband's not the believer and the wife is still subject and leading that person towards Jesus. Well, then who's the spiritual leader? The husband's the head, but the wife is subject. Who's the spiritual leader if if headship so much? Well, at times. When somebody is not acting out their role of leadership in those positions, somebody has to step up even from a different role and be the spiritual leader. And so if a woman has a non-believing husband and there needs to be a spiritual leader, first of all, you have a spiritual leader in the marriage. It's Jesus. Jesus is present there. He is your ultimate head. Okay? So if you're husband is trying to get you to go into sin you always apply to your first head jesus as well when there needs to be spiritual leadership even when the husband is a believer jesus is the ultimate spiritual leader if the husband is not a believer then 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 the believing wife still applies to the fact that jesus is the ultimate spiritual leader but then the wife then often has to step up into that place of saying okay then i am going to lead I'm going to lead towards Jesus. We saw this happen in the life of Israel. It wasn't necessarily a marriage, but back in the days of the judges, there would be judges who had come up and there was a a leader that time who needed to go out and fight a battle for the Israelites. And and that man did not step up. He was like, "Uh uh-uh. And so a woman named Deborah, Deborah was like, look at God, everybody. Look at what he's doing. We got to trust him. And, And this guy wouldn't lead the army there. And so she said, all right. I'll take us there. If, if you're not going to step up and do your job, then I, Deborah, I will lead us into what God has told us to do. And she sings a song later saying all the glory that would have went to a man has come to a woman. And so at times when a man doesn't step up in their role to lead and including in, in a marriage situation, then there is an opportunity for a woman to lead then 
towards Jesus. Now finally, it's time to pound on the husbands a little bit. With your finger still there in 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to come down into verse 7. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So first of all, there's probably a little bit of like, wait, what did you just say? The weaker, weaker vessel? First of all, we've already talked about how a man and a woman are equals. There's not one greater or lesser than the other. So we know here also in this verse, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life together, both are earning the same inheritance. It's not as if the husband gets more than the woman. So it's not talking about an equality issue. It's talking about the fact that women generally physically aren't stronger. How many of you wives could out arm wrestle your husband? No, it's, it's probably not going to happen. There's something physically most often that God has done in the midst of men and women, whereby that's why they need to have two different sets of competitions in the Olympics for the men and the women. It's just how God made men and women. And that's great. Not because then can men say, I'm stronger. That's not the point. It's so that in the strength that God has given them, they may serve them and take care of that, which is precious just because i have dishes in my house that are weaker than the normal everyday dishes doesn't mean that fine china is any less does it you take something that might break easier but you care for it because it's special so god isn't using this thing as the weaker vessel of saying like they're less than they're saying they're precious God has given you somebody that you're to care for. Use everything that I've given you, your gifts, your strengths, everything that you have. And you live in an understanding way towards your wives. What usually ends up happening is because a man is so strong in a lot of ways. And I'm not just talking strength, but so bullheaded. We end up dominating our wives and telling them what to do. This says to live in an understanding way with your wives. And let me be clear. There's two points in marriage I've heard at which a man doesn't understand a woman. And that's before the wedding and after the wedding. Okay. It's just tough. But this says we're, we're to live in an understanding way. This says we're to be mindful of them. That's part of understanding where to communicate with them, where to care for them. In fact, I want you to for a moment look down at verse eight, because I think eight gives us the definition of what it means to live in an understanding way with our wives. What, what it's supposed to look like says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. And a humble mind. So let me ask you, husbands who are out there, as you view the way that you are treating and acting, even when you're not with her, your wife. Could you do this test? Do you have unity of mind with your wife? Do you even know what's on her mind? I just saw a woman go, <laughs> yeah. 
Get ready, women, because I'm digging in. I'm helping you here. Do you know what's on her mind? When's the last time you took her out on a date and just said, tell me what's going on in your life? What's going on? What's going on up here? What? <laughs> I don't know if I should know all the comments that are coming. Do you know what's on her mind? This is you're, you're to have unity of mind, that, that you're to be interweaving your mind so that you would know what's on her mind and she would know yours. And you're having a unity. I hope that's towards the Lord. But but you're you know, when God said. The man shall leave his father and his mother and should go and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It was to be the ultimate unity. And this says you're to have unity of the mind. Husbands, do you pass that test? It also says that you're to have sympathy. Wives, maybe you should answer that question. When's the last time you felt you had sympathy from your husband? It says to have brotherly love. I don't know how that's supposed to work among spouses because there's all kinds of love that goes on among spouses biblically. But brotherly love, are you friends? Are you enduring that person? Because you have to. Wasn't part of the reason that you stood on a stage much like this and there was a, a, a pastor officiating your wedding and you said, I will vow to the to the end of my life. I will I will love you and you alone, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you were rich, whether you're poor with me together in those things. I will love you. Did you say that because. They weren't your friend. No, you stood there that day and said, you're my friend. I love being with you. I want to be with you. Are you a friend with your spouse, husbands? This says to have a, a tender heart. Little secret that I've learned. Women love tenderness. I'm flowers are beautiful. I could take them or leave them. My wife loves them. She she should I should give her more of them. Right? All right. This might be the first time she yells out amen ever during a sermon. But things like that aren't aren't those ways that men express a tender heart. You know, it's saying that I'm to, I'm to be tender to my wife. And 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 sometimes, you know, husbands, we're really bad at this because it'll be their birthdays and we'll say I'm supposed to be tender. And so, you know what, baby, I'm going to buy you the biggest flat screen you've ever seen. Does that express tenderness? Oh, well. <laughs> And Wilma just said, just make sure she has the remote control. Oh, he's going to have it. Okay. A lot of times we come into the situation and we're just we're just seeking our own. But a tender heart. Do we do we know what gets into our heart and speaks the things of tenderness, of love in those ways? When we say, I know this. This just makes passion within you well up. Remember, you used to do that when you dated. And finally, it says to have a humble mind. And that may just be the hardest one of all. Husbands, to, to look at your wife and say. I don't deserve you. I am to really say I'm I'm less than you in a way. To say I would I would do anything the Lord asked me to for you. A humble heart, and it's easy not even to recognize it. But I guarantee you, if your heart's not humble, you know who recognizes it first? Your wife. 
and then everybody else around you. We're usually the last ones to recognize when we're not humble. What's interesting is that uh, a non-Christian marriage specialist who just studies marriages did a study on why people get divorced. And what they did is they took and they videoed couples and they would intentionally put a question in the midst of those couples that would cause them to have a little bit of an argument. Just simple things, nothing big, but just they would kind of get going and they recorded those couples. And then they went back and they analyzed all the footage from those videos of these couples in these uh, fierce conversations, we'll say. And they every frame, they would write down the emotions they would just see on the face. All over the gamut, you know, they just write down. And what they learned from all that study, looking at every frame of all these couples, is that they narrowed it down to just a handful of characteristics of emotions that if you saw those, those were like the nail in the coffin that for sure they would end in divorce. And they asked this guy, what's the one thing? What's the one that if you see that one, that's the sign. And he said, you know what? I can go into a restaurant never having met any of those people. And I can, with 95% certainty, look at the couples and tell you which ones are going to get a divorce. And they said, well, what is the thing that you see? And he said this. When one person in the relationship looks at the other one with contempt. Well, what does contempt mean? Contempt is when you think you're better than somebody else. As soon as in the marriage, one looks at the other and says, I'm better than you. He said, it's. So because you no longer see yourselves as equals, you no longer see yourself as one who serves and loves and is tender and and wants to know the mind of the other. You're just better. You want the remote control. You want to be the one in charge and you're trying to get on top. And the scripture says that both ways people are trying to get to be the one who owns the situation, whether it's husbands and wives or our own relationship with God. This says husbands. Live in an understanding way with your wives, love them. And live in an understanding way with your wives. Unity of mind. Tenderness of heart. Love like a good friend. And humble. Never thinking that you're better than the other. And this verse. In verse 7 there is, is interesting because it says. So that your prayers. May not be hindered. What a warning husbands. This says that if you are not living in an understanding way with your wife, then essentially God is not listening to you. Whoa. Wait, wait, you mean because I'm not over here and understanding my wife and living that out that when I go to prayer with God, he's going to be like, "Mm -mm." yeah, that's what it said. Why? Because the moment you come with an arrogance towards your wife and you come in a way that is disrespectful and dishonorable, the same thing is going to show up with God. You're actually approaching. You don't suddenly turn off arrogance. You don't suddenly turn off a, a, a heart that doesn't fear God by taking care of one of his precious children in the way that he's had you covenant with her. And so you don't turn from that covenant and think I'm better and then turn to this covenant and think, all right, I'm ready to go, God. He said, no, you're coming to me with a heart. That's not right for prayer. Your prayers are going to be hindered. They're connected. Marriage and our relationship with God are connected. And that's what his intent was. That was that it would be a picture of a sanctuary. 
that in there God would be present, we'd be pressing towards God, and there'd be a picture of the way that he has bought us and brought us towards him. It's always a picture of him. I was talking with a friend recently, and, and she said they were at a Bible study, her and her husband, and they went over this passage. And her husband is just such a teddy bear of a man. He's, he's, he's uh, friendly, and he'll just do anything for you. He's, he's always helping out and, and just a generous man. And, and they came to this verse about loving your wives and being understanding. And if that's not happening, that your prayers will be hindered. And he said, you know what? I just have to say that that has happened with me. And people are like, what? You? He said, yeah, when there's been moments in my marriage when I have been not understanding, when I have been um, not committed, when I have allowed my mind and my heart and my, my ways to drift away from my wife, I know that when I've gone to God in prayer, they've been hindered, that he doesn't listen the same, that there was a break in my relationship with God. He said, it's absolutely true. And so, wives... Be subject to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. It's a great picture. It's a great opportunity. It's what God built in to point you and others towards Jesus. And husbands, love your wives and be the head of your household like you should. Understanding her, being humble and tender and friendly towards her. The hard thing is the stories that you hear out of homes where they go home and it's just fighting cats. And I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, you know, with all the fightings cats do, there's still a lot of kittens being made. That's true. Life goes on. But that doesn't mean that's the way God intended it. We need to love each other in our marriages. Doing it the way the Lord told us to do. So that we together could show each other Christ. That we could show our kids Christ. So that we can show the world Christ. And how sad is it that we might go home and within the confines of our house. Be acting completely other than what God intended. This morning if you sense just. As we've talked through these things, you know what? This hasn't been right in our marriage, whether a husband or a wife, or maybe it's the other. And you're like, you know what? He, she hasn't been treating me the way the scripture is saying. This morning, I want you to offer your marriage. And yeah, you can't control the other spouse all the time, but you know what? You can take it and put that on the altar. Say, I don't have control, God. We need your help. I need your help to be a husband she needs your help to be a wife. We need your help to keep our eyes on you. And I'm just asking for married couples to come and put your marriage on the altar and say, show us, Lord. Help us help our marriage. And so those of you who aren't married and maybe you're under, under the age of 18, you're just been like husbands and wives, ah, gross, um, all that stuff. You know what, kids? One day you're going to be in that situation where you're thinking, hey, that guy, that girl, I really, en I really enjoy that person. And I'm really thinking about going on in life with just that person. I want to maybe marry them. 
And you might think, I don't have anybody right now to come and a marriage. I'm not married, so how can I offer that to God now? You know what? You can offer your future spouse to God already. God already knows the person that you're going to marry. And right now, you could already be praying for God, you, you know that guy or that girl that I'm going to marry. And, and I don't know them now, but I'm, I'm praying that you would preserve them and grow them in faith. So that day when I do come into relationship with them, that they'll be ready. They'll be ready for the relationship we're going to have. But also, you're not only going to pray for that person in the future, but you know what? You need to pray for your own hearts, kids, youth. Because as much as you want that person to be ready for the day that you get married, don't you think that they also want you already to be growing to be the person that is ready to get married to them? And so maybe today you need to just come and put your heart, say, Lord, I know I'm not married yet, but I just want to give you my life. Help prepare me for marriage to come. Help prepare me for life with you, Jesus. So if you're married, I'm going to ask that you would put your marriage before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my marriage. If you're not married, then maybe that's something future that's going on. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm never going to get married. I'm single. I'm never going to get married. You know what? Then put that before the Lord too because all this was a picture. It's an earthly picture of us being married to God. So maybe it's your own heart and you need to say, Lord, I'm part of the bride and we're getting married. And so, Lord, I just want to put my relationship with you on the altar and ask that you would show me what it means to be in union together with you. So let's pray. And if the Lord moves you, we'll we'll go ahead and have a little uh, time to let people come down and pray. But, Father, right now, I just want to lift up our hearts to you. Some of these things that we've talked about are difficult. They make us wrestle and squirm because of the different responsibilities and maybe roles that you have talked about. And yet, Lord, you you're good. You don't do any of this out of spite. You don't do this because you're trying to do things in a wrong way, but rather you gave marriage even before there was sin. And you intended it to be this great sanctuary, but through which we would see you. And so, Lord, today we take all the marriages and we place them before you and we ask that you would teach us we pray that you would protect them we pray that you would continue to help show us what it means to be a husband and to be a wife lord for those who this morning aren't married yet and maybe they're going to place their future spouse or maybe even their own life as they prepare for those days before you lord i pray that you would continue to show them what it means to be pure and set apart what it means to already begin to be practicing a humble heart what it means to be submissive to those who, who have been given uh, authority over them. Lord, I pray that you would help us. And Lord, for all of us, married or unmarried, we pray that we would put our hearts before you, that you would show us what it means to be in submission to you, what it means to, to be living for you, what it means to be devoted to you. Lord, we pray that we would do whatever it is you ask, as you've been so good and gracious to us. We pray these things in the Lord's name. Amen.